0: This week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today.
1: of a man that had ultimate authority over everything. What he wanted done happened. He came forth, his authority. In everything, he touched everything he did. When Jesus preached, he preached with authority. When he called men to follow him, that call went out with authority. When he spoke to demons and told them to come out of a man, he did that with authority. And when they brought him a woman who laid sick with a fever... As the great physician, he lifted her up, and his authority over that sickness made her well. So whatever Jesus does, he does with authority. Why? Because he is unlike no other man that's ever walked on planet earth. He is God wrapped in human flesh. So he is the ultimate authority. This morning, I want us to consider him as the ultimate authority. I want to ask you, is he your authority? Is he your savior? Is He your Lord? Does He call the shots in your life? Have you witnessed Him exercising His authority over your storms, over your struggles, over your sins? That's what we're going to talk about today, the authority of Jesus. We see His authority put on display in four different situations in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. Notice, first of all, we see this authority in what I call the convicting preaching of Jesus Christ. The convicting preaching of Jesus Christ. Look again with me at verse 14 and 15. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand ye and believe the gospel. In verse 14, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist has been put into prison. Up until now, John, the forerunner, he's been the one doing all the preaching getting the world ready to meet the Messiah. But now John's been put into prison. John's not preaching out there anymore. And another one has come. Jesus. Jesus has now stepped into the spot of preacher for the world. You know, I, I thought about that, and this is not the text of the the, the thought of the whole message today, but it, it stands to, to observe here that you might stop a messenger, but you can't stop the message. You might put a messenger in jail, but you're not going to stop the message. They put John in jail, but here comes God's got another preacher on the scene. Ready? You give this little fat preacher, but I want to tell you what Jesus has got a lot more good preachers out there. Uh, the message can't be stopped. Jesus comes preaching. Now the difference between John's preaching and Jesus's preaching was this: John had a message. Jesus is the message. <laughs> Jesus is the message. He's the eternal Word of God. And verse 14 tells us that Jesus comes into Galilee preaching. Now I want you to think about where Jesus was in, in chapter 1 before uh, his ministry begins. He's down there in southern Israel. He's down at Beth Bar. He's being baptized. And now he begins his preaching ministry. He walks clean by Jerusalem. Right by Jerusalem. Right by the place where all the preaching takes place. Right up there where all the preachers are. Right up there where the temple is. He walks right by that place, right by all those religious people, and he goes up there in the redneck hillbilly country. I like that. That's my people up there. Somebody say amen. I mean, he's up there with the the common people, the Galileans. And he goes up there and begins to preach to those common, ordinary people. Mark tells us what his message was right there in the text. He says that I come preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, And he came telling these people, repent and believe the gospel. And he preached this message with authority. There's great conviction when he preached. What a message he preached. You know, that's the same message God calls us to preach today. That's the same message God called me to preach. Why is that the only message? Because it's the only message you can believe and go to heaven. It's the only message that can save you. The, The message of repent and believe the gospel. That word repent is a very, very important word. We didn't, a lot of folks today stand in bullpick and never use the word repentance. That's a mighty important word, ladies and gentlemen. Without repentance. Jesus said, you'll all likewise perish. I mean, if there's a word that stands between me and hell, I want to know what that word is. And ladies and gentlemen, the word is repent. It means turn from your sin. If you walked down an aisle years ago, signed the little card, repeated the little, uh, repeat after me prayer, and never turned from your sin, never repeated, I got bad news for you. You are not on your way to heaven without repentance. Jesus says you're going to perish in the lake of fire. So if you want to be saved, you got to repent, and then Jesus said you got to believe the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the message that you and I are guilty sinners. Let me give you a chance to say amen right there. We're all guilty sinners. The best person in the room today is a wretched sinner. We're deserving of the wrath of God, but God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He bore our sin at Calvary. The Father poured out the wrath that should have gone us. He poured it out onto Jesus. Jesus said it is finished. He paid the payment. They laid His dead body, and it was fully dead. They laid Tomb, and three days later, miraculously with resurrection power, Jesus Christ came out of the grave, proper and death. And today, He offers you a relationship with God on the basis of the blood that He shed on Calvary. That, that is the gospel you got to believe. Now, if there's any part of what I just said that you don't believe, I've got bad news. You're not saved. If there's any part of the gospel, you, not, you don't believe it. You can't go to heaven. When Jesus preached the message, he didn't preach a little bit of it and leave part of it out. Listen, a half-truth is a whole lie. I'm telling you, you can talk about the love of Jesus, but if you don't talk about the wrath of God that we all deserve, the gospel doesn't make sense. Why would anybody want to be saved? You've got to be saved from something. And so Jesus came preaching repentance. What he was saying is, you might turn from your sin. How dare Jesus? That's mighty judgmental telling them they're sinners. You know, today they say, oh, I hear even people in the church say, well, you you know, I know you're not supposed to judge. Where'd you get that? You say, well, the scripture says judge not lest you be judged. It also says to get the two before out of your eye before you try to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. In other words, don't judge others until you judge yourself. Don't take scripture out of context. You've got to tell a man he's a sinner incurring the wrath of God before the gospel will ever make sense to you. He's got to know he needs it. And when somebody talks to you about your sin and tells you you're guilty and gets a hold of your heart. You think about it. It convicts you. And that's the way Jesus preached. He preached with Holy Ghost conviction and authority. And if you'll do exactly what he said, if you'll repent and believe, not in your head, but in your heart, the way Romans 10 talks about, believe that gospel perfect for your salvation, then that conviction will give way to conversion and you'll be saved. The convicting, preaching, That was God's message then. That's God's message now. It's God's message for today. It has not changed. Repent and believe. When you hear the message repent, letting you know you're a sinner and believe the gospel, does that convict your heart at all? If you're you're convicted, you'll know it. I won't have to tell you. Nobody had to tell me what was happening when God was dealing with my heart. I knew that funny feeling. I mean, it wasn't indigestion. I knew it was the Holy Ghost of God dealing with my heart. Nobody had to tell me that. I knew God was dealing with me. And when God deals with you, and if He deals with you today, you will know that it's God. My prayer for you is that you'll just be bold enough, you'll be wise enough when God convicts you that you'll come to an altar and you'll say, God, I will repent and believe the gospel and escape the wrath of God. The convicting preaching of Jesus demonstrated his authority. Notice now in verse 16, we see this authority not only in his convicting preaching, but we see this authority in number two, the call placed by Jesus. Verse 16 says, "Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. They were fishers. There were fishers supposed to be up there by that big lake, brother Joe. Sea Galilee is really just a big lake. It's not an ocean. And there's fishing boats all over that place. Great place to fish. Fishing was common there. And these fishermen, common, ordinary fishermen, these are the men Jesus begins His ministry with. These are the first disciples. And notice." They're not super pious, super religious. No, they're not even scholarly. They're just common, ordinary fishermen. And he places a call on their life. He looks over there and says, Andrew, Simon, come you after me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Let me ask you a question today, church. What gives him the right to tell these boys to leave what they're doing leave their profession, leave their job, and come and follow Him. What gives this man the right to tell them what to do? I'll tell you what gives him the right. His authority. His authority. He is their Savior. This this uh, this spot here in verse number uh, 16 and 17, this is not the conversion of Peter and Andrew. This is the call on their life to be stolen. You remember it was Andrew that met the Lord first, and then he went and got his brother and introduced his brother to Jesus. Now, after Jesus has saved these two young men, Jesus goes back and he says, now that I've saved you, now that I'm your Lord, I've got the right to tell you what to do. I want you to leave your nets, I want you to come after me, and I'll make you fishers of me. You know, right after you respond to the convicting preaching of the gospel, And believe on Jesus. The next step in your Christian life is to begin sharing Jesus with other people. That's the next step. That's what Jim did this morning. She shared Jesus with you. She shared her testimony in the baptismal waters. That's the first profession of faith. But it doesn't stop when you walk out of the baptistry. That's when sharing Jesus begins. You go everywhere. You publicly profess Christ as your Savior. Jesus has called every child of God to be a soul winner. To share the good news of Christ with somebody that's lost. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Listen, the devil wants you to think that you can't do it. The devil wants you to think you won't know what to say. The devil wants you to think it's not your job. Uh, but listen to me. The, the devil's a liar. The devil wants you to think that you're underqualified to share the gospel. But look, he didn't call a bunch of scholars. Here he called common fishermen. He calls common fishermen. And these were the first guys to share the gospel. In fact... It's because of them that you heard the gospel. They heard it first. They shared it with somebody. You shared it with somebody. You shared it with somebody. You shared it with somebody. Who eventually got on a boat and came over here and shared it with somebody. Who shared it with somebody. Who who finally shared it with you. Thank God, ordinary people got obedient and shared the gospel. They shared it with somebody. And the gospel got into my ears and your ears. And it changed and transformed my life. And that's what the gospel will do. Jesus Christ has placed the call on each of our lives to share the gospel. He's got the right, the authority, to tell me that I have no option. It's not optional. soul winning and sharing your faith. It is not. You do it if you want to. It's not an option. Once he saves you, you say, what gives him the authority to tell me to do that? How so, preacher? Because... He laid down His life for you. He died for you. His death is what kept you from bursting hell wide open this week. And that pretty much gives Him the right to tell me and you what to do. We're not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. Matthew 28, verse 18, 19 says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, literally, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So let me ask you this morning. That call has been placed on your life. How are you doing with that call? Are you sharing your faith in Jesus with anybody? Are you sharing it with anybody? Are you telling anybody that they're sinners and they need a Savior, just like you're a sinner and you needed a Savior? You say, well, preacher, I kind of I kind of thought that's why we could talk from this morning. Preacher, I kind of thought we're paying you to do that. I, I thought that was your job. Now listen, that's partly right. I've a whole lot of you. Remember I told you that long ago? It is my job to share the gospel. But I got this witnessing that God's called me to do. And you got this witnessing that God's called you to do. And I can only do my witnessing. I can't do your witness. Sometimes people will call me and they'll say, Preacher, would you come talk to so-and-so about the Lord? And I'm always glad to do it, but I wonder why didn't they go talk to him about the Lord? I don't have to do anybody's witnessing for them. In fact, this is an army. This is an army. Listen, I might be the one standing up here trying to lead the army, but I'm telling you when, you, when an army goes to battle, if you just send the one guy out there, uh, the war's going to be over quick. Enemies do going to kill him quick. It takes all of us out there sharing the gospel. So it's my responsibility and it's your responsibility. And one day our authority is going to hold us accountable. He's going to ask you, What would you do with the gospel? Did you share the gospel with your friends? Did you share the gospel with your family? Did you share the gospel with your next door neighbor? God's put that call on your life. Now I understand there's some people that just won't obey that call. you just flat decided, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And there's some people they have been saved 30 years and they've never led anybody to faith in Jesus Christ. A good way to know if you're... If you're obedient to this call, are you leading people to faith in Christ? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and brought them to the place of decision and said, would you like to be saved? Have you ever done that? That's the question. Jesus called these men to go and do that. It's not optional. It's a command. I remember Brother Ronnie in the first church I passed before I come in there, uh, just ball of fire, just a blade. God's ready to go win the world. I'm, I'm kind of like the little preacher that that, uh, that he, he pastored his first church, and they had a little 500 watt radio station, AM station, in the town he he pastored in. He told them, he said, I want to go uh, preach on that radio, little 500 watt station." And so the first Sunday morning, about eight o'clock, they turned the mic on down there at the radio station, and they said, "All right, preacher, when you get in there, go in there and preach." And he walked up to the mic at that little 500 watt station and says, "Hello, world." When I was pastoring in my first church, this little country church, and I thought I was just going to go win the whole world for Jesus. So, boy, we just started out like crazy, man. I had my first deacons meeting Brother Leroy, and I told the deacons, I said, we're going to start a Saturday morning digitization phone, we're going to go knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. And I had two uh, older deacons and dear, sweet, sweet men, and we finally... Got together on some things, but on that first meeting, it didn't start out good because those men said, well, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to start a Saturday morning visitation program." They said, "Well, if you'll wait till next month, we'll have our business meeting come around. Uh, we'll vote on that and make sure the church wants to do it." didn't go over real well in that meeting with me. I was young and dumb and not as sophisticated as spot as I am today. And, and, and so I wasn't so polished about how I dealt with it because I gave them a glimpse of glory that morning and told them, you don't vote on the commands of Jesus. It's not optional. He told us to do it. You either obey it or you disobey it. Jesus didn't give these men a choice. He said, Paul, I'm your authority. I've saved you. I told you to go be a soul with And how did they respond? He said, straightway, immediately they forsook their nets and followed in. And that's the word that Mark uses. Straightway, immediately. But they forsook their nets. When Jesus said jump, they said, how hi, high? I mean immediately. Why'd they do that? Because he's the authority. And then down in verse 19 and 20, he goes calls James and John, does the same thing. And now all four of them, uh, Simon, Andrew, James and John, they leave something behind. Simon and Andrew leave their nets. James and John, they leave their boats. All of us have to leave something behind. There's something that's holding you back from being a soul winner, but you have to leave that behind. I don't know if it's a fear of public speaking. I don't know if it's just you ain't got time to do it. I don't know if it's you don't want to do it. I don't know if it's bad theology. You think you're not supposed to do it. Whatever's keeping you from doing it, you've got to leave that net behind and go do it. Preacher, you're acting like soul winning and following Jesus is the same thing. It is. It is the same thing. You say, oh, I'm following Jesus. Are you soul winning? Are you sharing the gospel? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a soul winner. Following Jesus and soul winning is the same thing. So you're telling me. I can be saved and not follow Jesus. I'm telling you, that's why the Muslims are reaching more people than the Christians are. It's because you got a bunch of saved people that they've got fire insurance, but they never started following Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you'll be a soul winner. If you're not sharing the gospel, you're not following Jesus. You're not following. These men came to Christ. They didn't come to follow a program, an organization, an ideology, or a movement. They're following a person. If you're going to follow him, you do what he does. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're not doing that today, if you're not obedient to the call placed by Jesus Christ on your life, here's what you need to do. In the invitation, you need to come and kneel in an altar and say, Lord, I have been disobedient. Maybe that's why you're not blessed in my life. Maybe that's why you're uh, disciplining my life. And I've been disobedient, but I repent of that today. And I'm going to get obedient. I'm going to follow you and be a soul winner. That's the authority Jesus has to place that call on your life. Number three. We see His authority in what I call the conquering power of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says they went into Capernaum straightway on the Sabbath day. And Jesus talked. He told in the synagogue. And verse 22 says they were astonished. When Jesus started preaching, something was different about it. They'd never heard of anybody like Jesus. I mean, his content's good, it's truthful, his delivery's flawless, his insight penetrated their heart, and above all, he preached with such power and authority. They looked at this guy, and they said, in every sense of the word, this guy's awesome. We've never heard of anybody like him. But they hadn't seen anything yet. Verse 23 tells us that in that synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit. And while Jesus was preaching, this guy starts crying out, Oh! Jesus, stop. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. Boy, I bet that won't keep folks up. Verse 24. A man cried to the unclean, clean spirit. Let us alone. What have have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Or thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. When Jesus started preaching, it woke those people up got their attention, got the attention, and arrested and convicted. You remember I told you he was a convicting preacher. It convicted that old lost man. You know, preaching ought to do that. It ought to convict us. It ought to stir us up. I mean, it ought to arrest us and wake us up. Something starts stirring in the heart of this man. And don't miss this. Something was stirring in the heart of this man who was at the house of God. Oh, he, he, he could look as religious as anybody, but deep down inside, he was getting convicted. Are you with me? Are you listening? I'm talking to a bunch of people. you pass any day of the week for a bunch of badges. But it's something convicting going on down in your heart. Have you got something lacking in your life? Have you got church membership that lacked the relationship with God? That's the message of this guy right here. He's in church on the Sabbath day, but something is stirring in his heart. Not long ago, I stood in the spot where this happened. I went into that synagogue. We went over there in Capernaum. Remember, uh, Lord preached in, in this particular synagogue. As I sat there on the beach in the ruins of this synagogue right here, I thought about how this man came in there that day. And I wonder how many days before that had he walked in there, heard little or nothing of the gospel, left unchanged, Walk back in the next week, left unchanged. Then I thought about here. How many people walk into this place, hear the gospel, leave week after week, and it doesn't penetrate your heart. It doesn't convict your heart. You do nothing with it. It doesn't arrest you. It doesn't stir you. It leaves you unchanged. Beloved, I want you to know that Jesus met you at this place today not to leave you the way he found you. He came to conquer the sin in your life. And you can have a little religion, attend a little church. Just don't let this gospel get too personal with the way you are. I don't mind a little church, a little hymn singing, a little bit in the offering place. But, But don't get real personal with me. Don't get all up in my business. Listen, that sounds like the devil talking. When this man got stirred, that's the first thing he said, leave me alone. Don't get personal with me. All I came for today, I just come for the show. I just came for the music. I just came for the fellowship. I didn't expect somebody to come in here and tell me to repent and believe the gospel. I just came because this is where all my friends are. I'm okay with church. You just don't get in my business about my personal walk with God. But Jesus didn't come that, that, that way that day. Just a week at that man to come uh, and leave him the way he was. Jesus stopped by that way that day to get all up in that man's business and stir his soul and change his life. The way God arranged your life this week. He arranged your life providentially. Your whole week has been to get you right here today so Jesus can get all up in your business and get personal with you and change your life. Verse 26. 25, Jesus rebukes the demon's spirit. Verse 26, uh, 25, he tells it to come out of the man. And in verse 26, the guy starts convulsing the public, thought he was having some seizure. He starts crying out, and the demon leaves this guy. And in verse 27, look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, And they were all amazed. And I think that may be the understatement of the entire Bible. God falls out on the floor, such a convulsing spirit comes out in him and you start screaming. I don't think a handful of words can describe what's just happened here. But they have just been eyewitnesses the conquering power of Jesus. They witnessed Jesus as authority over sin and Satan. And let me tell you, that's the same Jesus we turned our eyes on this morning when we walked in here. That's the same Jesus we're worshiping. That's the same Jesus I'm inviting you to follow today, the one that can radically change your life. I think that guy right there is going to be in heaven one day. And I can't wait to talk to him and meet him. he's going to tell you one of these days how Jesus changed his life. So I want to tell you today, there's not a grip on your life so tight. Jesus can't set you free. There's not a sin so bad. Jesus can't forgive it. There's not a need so great. He can't meet it. This Jesus is all powerful, God in the human flesh. He's the one that created the universe. He's the one that put the stars into place. If you're having trouble getting from now to pay he can help you with that. If you're having trouble getting over some sickness, he can help you with that. If you've got some sin that keeps you guilty and feeling guilty and up all night, he can forgive that. If you got a marriage that's on the rocks and just all but down the toilet, he can fix that. Thing. He is the all-powerful Jesus. And if you give Him your need, He can conquer that need today. Now notice lastly in verse 29, we see what I call the confidence place in Jesus. In verse 29, they come out of the synagogue. They enter into the house of Simon and Andrew. Remember? Right over there, just right across the street. They go over there in that little house where Simon Peter lived. James and John are with them. Now when I that it says they left the synagogue and went over there to their house. You know what I believe they're doing, Brother Tommy? I believe they're doing exactly what we're going to do when we get out of church today. They're leaving church and they're going to have a bite to eat. And you notice they took the preacher with them. Y'all see that? They took the preacher home for dinner. That man. Alright, and when they get there, verse 30, Simon's wife's mother. And she lay sick of the fever. And the Bible says, anon, or immediately, immediately, they tell him of her. Him who? They tell Jesus. Jesus, my mother-in-law, is sick in here. Now why would you do that? Because they had confidence in Jesus. They had confidence that you, Je- listen, they just saw Jesus deliver a man, a man convulsing in the floor, giving up a demon, and they'd say Jesus deliver that guy. A fever don't look like a big deal anymore, does it? So they said, got confidence. Surely Jesus can heal this woman. And so they tell Jesus, Jesus, my mother-in-law is sick. Can you heal her? And of course, that's what he does. Verse 31, look at it. And he came and took her up by the hand and he lifted her up, and immediately the temper left her. I wonder how many doctors looked at this woman. And now she appeals to a higher authority. Can you just reach it down there? Does for her what probably every doctor in town has been trying to do. She's burning up with fever. Nobody's been able to help her. But give the problem to Jesus. She can give the problem to Jesus. Give him opportunity. He can fix it. Because he's the ultimate authority. Notice how gentle Jesus is in verse 31. Look at it again. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. I thought Jesus wasn't like these faith healers on TV he them and they go to and knocking them down and blowing on them and pushing them out the floor. I mean, you want you wanna, if, if, if that, of all things, doesn't let you know that they're not doing what Jesus did. Jesus didn't take his coat off and hit her with it and knock her down. He gently just lifted her up by the hand. and so gentle, the gentle Jesus. And watch what he does. He heals her, and in verse 31 says she ministered unto them. That's the right response on her part. When Jesus heals you, you minister for him. If you could talk to this woman, I'll tell you what she'd do. I bet she'd say, I sure am glad somebody introduced me to Jesus. I sure am glad somebody told me about Jesus. I'm glad somebody had enough confidence in Jesus to bring him to where I was. After that demon possessed man got delivered and this sick woman got healed, look at verse number 32. And at evening, and when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and, and all that were possessed with devils. They just start bringing people to Jesus. That's our job. When we see what Jesus does, we need to get people that need the help of Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Here's what they know they know if we can get these people to Jesus, we got to get them to Jesus. Jesus can change them. Do you have that kind of confidence? in Jesus. Do you have that kind of confidence in Jesus? You know, we're living in a day and age where I fear the church has lost confidence in Jesus. And that's why they're trying to redefine how you do church, Brother Ryan. And everything's got to be a spectacle and a show and smoke and mirrors. And, and, and it's 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 like we don't have enough confidence to just give them Jesus. We've got to give them a better news program. We've got to give them this. We've got to give them that. No, just give them Jesus. Jesus, Have confidence in Jesus. I see it in my mind. Somebody runs finds a sick person and says, Hey, let me take you to this man over here. His name is Jesus. Boy, he can help you. Maybe that old man with the unclean spirit ran back and found his wife and said, Honey, listen, somebody changed my life today. I want him to change yours. Come on with me. We're going to go see you. Or maybe there's a child out there, and they run and say, uh, Brother, help me get Mama. Uh, uh, the doctors ain't been ha- able to help her, but he can did something in this woman's life over there. Maybe he can do that for my mama. And they take it, they carry this, uh, this one to Jesus. Or maybe four guys see a leper guy, and the house is full. And they say, you know what? If we could get that guy on a cot and get him to Jesus, but wait. There's too many people, the whole town, so that maybe we'll just tear the roof off to get him to Jesus. These people knew who the authority was that day, who was in charge, and they got into Jesus. God sent me here with a message today to help get some of you to Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an invitation here in just a second. If you've got a need, just leave your seat and come down to the aisle. Come to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting with somebody today and they need some help. Why don't you lean over to the today the day and say, listen, yeah, I'll go with you in the invitation. I'll go down there with you to the altar. If you want to go, just be afraid to them. Lean over to them. Even judgment just say, hey, listen, I, I know you got things in your life. If you want to go, I'm going to go pray. I'd love to go with you. Help them get to Jesus. He's the authority. We close with a story. do come up with a song. Hang with me just one second. Years ago, Stephen Alton, one of my favorite preachers told a story. In the jungles of Africa, there was a tribe about to elect a new chief. And the man running for chief of the tribe was named Dazi. As the people were about ready to uh, to vote, some of them began to question Dazi's love for the tribe. And then Dazi reminded them of something that had happened many years before. There was a day when in that village, a lion crept into the village. And it seemed like that lion would go unhindered and just go from hut to hut trying to attack people and kill people. And Dazi knew that somebody had to do something. That lion was going to kill all their children. So he ran out and faced the lion and he took his arms and he grabbed the mouth of that line and he shoved his whole arm down in there and just strangled that line from the inside and with his bare hand, Killed the line, but mangled his arms.
0: As they began to
1: question his love for his people, Gazi looked at them as they were getting ready to vote, and he said, If I had not loved you, I wouldn't have taken death for you. And then he lifted up two mangled arms and said, In the name of my wounds, I declare the right to be your authority and your leader. Now, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, another stood and spread his arms. And today, the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars of Jesus, and he holds his arms forth as if to say, today, in the name of my wounds, I declare the right to be your Lord, to be your leader. Is He the authority in your life? He is the ultimate authority and one day every person will stand before Him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father But He's the Lord. He's the authority. You're going to bow one way or the other. You can bow today and receive
0: Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write, Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsideDallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in
1: your life.